what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. Foot Candle Films. Film news and reviews from two guys who really like movies. This episode is brought to you by the Foot Candle Film Society. For a schedule of upcoming screenings and membership information, visit the Society's website at www.footcandle.org. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Foot Candle Films here on TheMesh.TV. My name is Alan. This is Chris. I'm pointing. Hello. You cannot see me point, but trust me, I'm pointing across the studio yes. to Chris's spot. Chris, how are you doing? Doing well. Ready to talk about two very different movies. You know, that's always interesting when we get together and record the show. It seems like the two reviews we do, we have a real good history of finding very opposite types of films to review each episode, or most episodes anyway. Most. I mean, Uh, reviewing Son of Saul and Captain America Civil War in the same episode, definitely a contrast there. Yeah, I think we're going to go equally contrasting films here today as well. Sure. As we have two reviews that we're going to be, uh, two films we'll be discussing and reviewing. The first is The Nice Guys. Uh, that is the Ryan Gosling, Russell Crowe, private eye, cop, crime, comedy hybrid. And we're going to talk about that, the latest from Shane Black, the director and writer of the film. Then we'll flip gears and talk about a film that is online for viewing. So it's already past its uh, theatrical run, but it is The Witch. This is a New England folktale, and we'll be talking about uh, a little more in the horror genre, possibly. We'll talk about it during our review. We'll follow that up with some movie news, some things that we think uh, are interesting to bat around and talk about in the movie industry. Then we'll wrap up our show, as always, with our recommendation. That will be an online or film that you can find somewhere through the internet uh, that we think you ought to check out or catch back up with in case it's one you've seen in the past. So with that, Chris, why don't we just go ahead and get started? Sounds like a good idea. Let us get started with our first review, which is Shane Black's The Nice Guys. I'm not in the yellow pages. If you got trouble with someone, you might ask around for me, Jackson Healy. I work for the Department of Justice. My daughter, Amelia, is in danger. Please find her, protect her. There's a couple of people I trust say you're pretty good at this. I want you to find Amelia. I would have thought your job ended with breaking my arm. You're the guy who beat up my dad. Hey, sucker punched your dad. Big difference. So this movie you just talked about, or just mentioned, The Nice Guys, came out May 20th. So we're here in the month of May. Summer movies are starting to come out. We've passed kind of the doldrums where all the Oscar movies happened. And right now it's May, you know, like I said, gearing up for summer. Pace Magazine, a magazine that I follow online, and they send emails about you know various news tidbits, some of which you may hear mentioned later in the show. Right. Um, but they put out a list of the 10 best movies in theaters right now. Right now, as of like the time of as this of, recording. As of okay. right now, yeah. Gotcha. So they have listed things like Captain America Civil War, Jungle Book, Zootopia, The Lobster, and then also, actually, they mentioned that documentary that you saw at uh, Riverrun Film Festival, A Wiener. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. So that's out now. Mm-hmm. Limited release, but it's it's still out. They lump in there 
The Nice Guys, mm-hmm. as well as some other small independent films, some of which I haven't even heard of. Sure. Uh, there's Men and Chicken, <laughs> Sing, nope, have not Sing heard of Street, one. High Rise, and Love and Friendship. That kind of rounds out. I've heard of all of them list. except for the first one you mentioned. Men not, and Chicken. <laughs> not, not familiar with Men and Chicken. Uh, neither was I. Um, so, Alan, I wonder if after seeing this movie, do you think they were trying to stretch this list by adding some of those movies like High Rise and Men and Chicken to try to make a top 10 list of movies that are out in theaters right now? And do you think Nice Guys was part of that stretch to make it mm, a 10 movie list and make it a good movie we're seeing in the theater? Or do you think Nice Guys, definitely a good movie? Warrants going, a position on that yeah, list. Yeah, warrants a position on um, the list. I do feel like it warrants a position on the list. Okay. I had a good time with this film. Okay. Despite some serious issues. Oh, okay. But overall, the issues were not... The, the, the issues were enough that it made me walk out of the theater saying, I liked it. I enjoyed it. I had a good time. I wish I would have liked it more. Hmm. That was the impression I got when I got out there. And I'll explain why I felt that way. Okay. But I did have a really good time with the film. I, I, I guess I have a soft spot for the kind of mismatched buddy cop and i know these two aren't cops but kind of that same idea two guys kind of mismatched kind of different personalities working together to solve detective, a crime detective yeah and so knowing that that was going to be kind of the, the the whole plot going on here that's the whole whole machination of this movie and then it's also set in the 1970s and they really play with the genre i think everything was working for this film for me and i think i really enjoyed what they're doing i enjoyed okay. the overall intent of this film but, <laughs> but, and I can get to the buts later. I, okay. I'll say on the good side, I thought, um, I thought it was funny. Okay. I thought there were many, many points that were very, very funny. And it's being kind of billed as action comedy. That's yeah. its main thing. So. Uh, the action that was in there was well done action. So, I mean, it was, uh, you know, it was nice to see an action film that wasn't CGI and really kind of over the top craziness. I mean, this was a very, it had a very eighties throwback kind of cop gun action shooting movie, you know, gotcha. with the action scenes. I uh, I think Ryan Gosling is really good in this movie. I thought he was funny. I thought he was just, anyway, I've, the big concern I'll talk about a little bit later is with the characters, the two main characters. And I think a choice the film makes that I'm not gelling with quite yet, but we'll huh. explain Interesting. later on. Again, okay. let's, stay, let's stay on the focus positive. Sure. I did enjoy this film. I did have a good time with it. I have issues, but we'll get to those later. So what about you, Chris? What's your your initial thoughts? I think I'm on the same page with you. I also really liked Ryan Gosling's performance and Russell Crowe. I thought it was good. Something that threw me kind of going into the movie, not threw me going into the movie, but I had no interest in seeing this movie originally. Okay. You know, they've been showing trailers for this a lot in the movie theater and just kind of like a 70s cop buddy movie and you know, even the titles are very kitschy and everything. Mm. I was just, I was just, it irritated me. It mm. just irritated me. Not that I thought the performances looked bad in the trailer, but just, it just seems so run of the mill yeah, right. and irritating. And I was just like, why, why bother? Why do mm. I want to see it? Actually, it it seemed like a less mocking, almost like an Austin Powers type. You know, that takes place in the '60s, and that's a straight out comedy, not as much action. Well, it's definitely a spoof comedy, but it's a spoof yeah, type right. thing. And I thought this thing kind of looked the same because they were mm-hmm. making, you know, the the music, the fonts on screen. It just seemed seemed. You thought they're going to be playing it like for almost over the top spoof laughs, right? As even the clothes, to, and yeah, as opposed just, to it just being set in that time period, right? And I, I just really was not excited about seeing it all. So much so that one of the things going into the movie, I was like. 
why is this in the 70s? Was it just because, oh, it's cool to do everything retro now? Mm-hmm. Like, why did Shane Black, who's the writer, director, why did he do this in the 70s? What was his thing? That said, within the first couple of minutes, and you see how certain plot points start coming together within the movie, some of which I will not spoil, but um, kind of about why certain things were happening. I kind of like, okay, I get it. The seventies played a part in this. I know plot. why this yes. isn't. It wasn't mm-hmm. just set there to be funny or to make fun of costumes right. or situations or so. No, it there's a reason. So there I kind of, I kind of got more on board with the movie than I thought I would be. Mm-hmm. And then you know, it for me, not one that action movies. They're not really usually mm-hmm. what I go out for, um, typically. But I thought this one was well done, and the balance mm-hmm. of humor I think really helped, as opposed just to being like. I've gone on record saying I haven't seen, I don't think, any of the Fast and Furious movies all the way through. I have not either. They're just like action movies, you yeah. know, and I guess there's some humor in there as well. But these, this type of movie that's action but has humor, and then there's some other stuff woven in there, resonates with me a lot more. Yeah. And I liked it. I will say, was really surprised. The biggest, the big, biggest positive I can give this film is that, you know, like you say, it's, it's a comedy, so does it make you laugh? Yes, I did laugh. Mm-hmm. There were some there were action moments. Do they keep you entertained on the edge of your seat? Yes, they do. Mm-hmm. So it succeeds in those two things. What I was surprised that it succeeded in was um, the actress who plays Ryan Gosling's daughter. Yes. Um, I can't, Angaree Rice, maybe mm-hmm. is how you say her name. She plays yeah. Holly. There's some stuff going on with her that moments of grace, I guess for lack of better term, and to keep still the end without spoiling the movie, some of the stuff that develops with her character. And I was kind of surprised and mm-hmm. taken aback by that um, because not kind of what I expect in a fast-paced action comedy right. movie. Then it kind of, some people I could see criticize it saying it kind of comes to a screeching halt and she kind of has this moment of grace that she kind of gives to other characters and it's kind of surprising. Mm-hmm. So that, that took mm-hmm. me by surprise, but I was, I kind of, I liked it. So. We know Shane Black, the, the writer, director of this, and he's only directed a few films himself. Actually, I think it's just three. He directed okay. Kiss, Kiss, Bang, Bang with okay. uh, Robert Downey and Val Kilmer years ago. I think that was, um, gosh, early 2000s, maybe? I think so. And from that, he did Iron Man 3. He did Iron Man 3 many 13. years ago. So Iron Man 3, that was kind of his big blockbuster writer, director style. Um, gotcha. Then he did this one. But he wrote Lethal Weapon and Lethal Weapon 2, I believe. Okay. Back in the 80s. Um, I think he also wrote The Last Boy Scout. Do you remember that movie with uh, Bruce Barely. Willis? Yes. Yeah. I think I'm saying that right. I think I, I'm, <laughs> I'm recalling that correctly. Okay. So he's he's kind of generated this whole buddy cop formula. Actually, Lethal Weapon was really one of those earlier films outside of maybe 48 Hours and some others that really kind of perfected this whole take two different personalities and put them in a squad, uh, squad car together and they have to go like fight crime gotcha. and they banter and they bicker and they all that. I think he kind of perfected that formula back in the late eighties. So uh, it was, uh, it was nice to kind of see that extended here a little bit with a few little twists and, uh, included, but I um, thought it was good. The other thing I was going to say about staying Shane black is one thing he got a lot of accolades in for Iron Man three that I did give an accolade for, even though I overall didn't care for Iron Man three terribly much myself is that he really seems to be pretty good with child actors. Mm. There was a child actor in Iron Man three that kind of befriend, befriended Tony Stark. And I remember thinking he was really good in that movie. So okay. I think Shane black kind of has a, he has a, he, knack has a he has a knack for that kind okay. of that, 
letting the kids either be the moral center of the film or be a little bit of the counterpoint to the main characters. So I think he's got that got that skill set. So let me let me go back to the two leads. I mean, this really is a movie where if the two leads aren't working, the film doesn't work. Sure. You've got a really, I think, a somewhat complex plot, you know, and it is it does harken back to some of these 80s. Uh, crime movies that the plot becomes a little secondary. It's like you don't really think too much about the plot after a while. Right. I will say I thought the plot was a little overly complex. It didn't hurt my enjoyment really much at all. But in hindsight, I honestly don't know if I could tell you exactly what the plot of the movie was, like what the <laughs> what the whole purpose of what the crime or the thing they're going after. It was very – it became very muddied after a while. It became very kind of all over the place, I thought. So that was a little bit of a ding on the film, but it didn't hurt my enjoyment of it. It, sure. was just, it just was more complex than I felt like it needed to be in that area. But going back to the two main characters, as I said at the beginning, Ryan Gosling, I thought, was really, really good. I think the guy's got excellent comic timing, even physical comedy yeah. uh, mannerisms. Which I'd it. never really seen him do before. Yeah, so. so it was good. I only remember the only other time I've seen him do like comedy was that uh, – it was that romantic comedy movie um, with Emma Stone and Steve Carell hmm. that I saw. That was pretty. It was a pretty decent film for what it was, and Ryan Gosling was in it, and he had more comedic moments than maybe we're used to seeing with him. And he was really good. Okay. And then he's also hosted Saturday Night Live several times, and he's very good when he's on there. Okay. So I think the guy's got comedic chops, and it was kind of nice to see him get to flex them almost the entire movie. Um, Russell Crowe, I thought was fine. I thought. Um, <laughs> I kind of I kind of got the impression that he struggled a little bit with his character trying to figure out exactly who his character was. And that's probably going to get me to my big hang up with the film. Hmm. I felt like these two characters, you had the shells of some really, really great characters, but there were a lot of fluctuations in their personalities and characters throughout the film. I thought that at the end of the film, I wanted more of these two, but I also wanted to get a little more refined with exactly who they were. Take, for example... Russell Crowe. So he is a very tough guy. He is, he's the guy you call if you just need somebody threatened. You need somebody beat up. Somebody's doing something wrong and you want them taken care of. Right. And he does that and he's really good at his job. But throughout the film, you kind of get the impression that sometimes, sometimes he's really confident and really kind of a strong character. And then other times he's not. Hmm. And then he'd be strong again and then he'd be weak again. And I got the same vibe from the Ryan Gosling character too. It's like sometimes he's, uh, uh, not afraid and he's very confident and very cocky and all that. And then other times one scene in particular, which I thought was well over the top where he was downright scared. He had fallen off a, off a building <laughs> and he landed and he saw something at the base of the tree where he was. He was and drunk. It was, it was true, but it was almost like cartoonish over the top. And it's just, there were enough moments like that where I kept wondering, okay, so who are these two characters really? <laughs> because I just seem to be getting multiple versions of them throughout the film. Sometimes they're funny, and then sometimes they're really confident and good at what they do. And then other hmm. times they're bumbling idiots, and it's just – I had a hard time kind of getting my hands around exactly who these two were. Right. I enjoyed them, gotcha. and I liked watching them on screen. But at the end of the film, which I did think ended on a perfect scene, I think the scene – I'll just say the scene at the bar, you know what I'm yeah, talking about, at the very absolutely. end – I thought it was perfect. I mean, you want a movie to just end perfectly, and I thought that was exactly the ending I wanted to see for this movie. It was a it was a good ending. I just unfortunately probably setting it up for a sequel. But well, I mean, I know they left that door open. I don't think they have intentions of a sequel with I, this. But I think I it was not. just a perfect ending to a good buddy buddy detective movie. And uh, 
those two characters at the end of the movie, those are the two I wanted. <laughs> it's like, but throughout the rest of the film, I felt like their personalities were just kind of all over the place at times. So anyway, that being said, I thought the two of them were good. I thought Ryan Gosling was much better. He seemed to have a better handle on his character. Russell Crowe, I felt like, struggled maybe a little bit, kind of like I did, about, okay, exactly who is this character I'm playing? And what way am I supposed to play him in this scene? So hmm. that's my big issue that calls me from just saying I love this film. Hmm. But I did really enjoy it, and I had a good time with it. And it's definitely worth seeing. So That's interesting. I, I, I hear what you're saying about how it's hard to see how they're strong in some moments and not strong in others. And that I see that happening and I agree with that for some reason that didn't bother me. And okay. I'm thinking just because these characters are just a mess and that's, if this wasn't a comedy, then I'd be like, well, that's just irritating. But the fact that it was a comedy and that's them being kind of out of control or doing silly things okay. like falling down a hill and mm-hmm. kind of panicking when you're like, really, you're a private investigator. You're not a little bit more controlled. See, that was, that was, and I guess I've seen, that scene just really that. bugged me. I mean, really? Yeah. Because it's like, I was with the character so much. And then when he reacts to what he sees, which sure. again, he's been in the crime realm of things for years. I mean, granted, he may not be the best detective all the time, but surely what he saw, he has seen before. Or something similar. But for him to act so over-the-top cartoonish, and it was just what you would expect from a, almost like from a sitcom. Hmm. You know, like, just this whole, I can't even get it out. Like a 70s sitcom. Yeah. See, I I feel like some of that stuff was kind of intentional in a way. Maybe it was, but it just didn't fit when I'm trying to, like, really enjoy watching these characters. And I just felt like a scene like that. That that scene just perfectly exemplified what I'm talking about. Okay. I don't buy at all that that's really the way he would act at this point. Hmm. I can understand him freaking out, but to act as so cartoonish as he did, I just thought was way too much. And then it started making me watch for other moments like that in the rest of the film. Hmm. So anyway, again, not enough for me to say people shouldn't watch it. Not enough for me to say I didn't enjoy it. Just, I just had some, some issues with the overall characters. I, I just felt like they weren't, they weren't as clearly defined for the two actors as they should have been. Well, it's interesting because you and I both seem to like the film, mm-hmm. would probably recommend it. You have that kind of misgiving with how the characters are portrayed. Didn't bother me. However, I have two things okay. that kind of add up to being equal to that one thing ah, that give me a I, slight misgiving or misgivings about the so film. So you have two half misgivings to make a full to misgiving a that matches yeah. mine. Yes. All right. um, what, were the, what were they? Okay. One has to do with a plot point that happens seemingly only to move the movie forward because they need something to happen. I'm trying to, I don't want to spoil anything. Mm -hmm. Basically it has to do with some money in a briefcase. I'll just leave it at that. Mm -hmm. And I don't understand why characters did something. It doesn't Mm -hmm. make any sense to me because, but it it happened because it had to, it was in the script and it had to happen Mm -hmm. to move the story forward. The more, and it seemed like a very rushed part of the movie. It was kind of like, things had kind of come to a head and they put that in there to kind of distract stuff. And I I don't know. It just, Hmm. after the movie, I can kind of explain to myself, okay, maybe this is why this happened, but it, the rest of the movie I felt held up pretty tight. So then for that to happen, I was kind of like, well, that's kind of a little bit of a plot point there. A little bit of a plot hole. What's the second one? Second one was, although I admire kind of how they wound up all the points at the end of the movie, you talked about the very last scene where the character characters in a bar, the scene right before that, kind of one of the major bad guys addresses, more or less kind of addresses the camera and kind of breaks the fourth wall in a way, not necessarily addressing the audience, but kind of gives this speech about how oh, this is oh. why certain things happen. I see. Yeah, yeah. And this is, 
you know, this is why I did the thing kind of explains their motivations and kind of in a way you could say makes this a message movie, but Mm -hmm. not really. Mm -hmm. Um, I thought that was maybe just a little, a little strong, but I admired it because it was not just a comedy and not just an action movie, but some of the things actually wove together to kind of make a point. But I thought having the character kind of, to me, it felt like address the audience mm-hmm. was maybe a little overkill. Well, you know, they, they, so. they did a good job of blending. I mean, off to that point, uh, I was, I was okay with them blending in a few moments of some serious messages. I mean, there is kind of a bigger message picture that they were kind of talking around. Sure. Uh, with this, uh, with regards to the location of where some of this, uh, stuff was happening, a particular city, the industries involved. I mean, there was a lot of, there was a lot of places they could have gone deeper with this for sure. sure. And then they chose not to. So I think the, the end scene you're talking about was a little more of trying to just button up the fact that there was something a little more, a little deeper going on here. It it did make the film a little more uh, all over the place personality wise, but Hmm. I I didn't mind that um, myself. So in the plot, the plot hole you mentioned, I'm sure you're right. I was probably (laughs) not really paying a whole lot of attention to the plot by that point. So if I really went back and thought about it and looked at it and and we talked offline, I guarantee you, you're probably exactly right. You're much better at picking out those kind of things than I am. I I, I tend to just kind of go along for the ride. Well, and normally I'm pretty good about going along, unfortunately. And now I may have ruined it for all our listeners. You have to tell me if I did. Mm -hmm. Um, I had heard somebody talk about this movie prior to seeing it. And they mentioned, they didn't say what it was, but they kind of alluded to it just like I did. So I was, you know, humming along in this movie. And then when that speed bump happened, I was like, oh, yeah, yeah. that doesn't make any sense. It bumped your car a lot more on the speed bump than it did anybody else. So maybe if you're aware that there's going to be something kind of odd, maybe I was looking out for it. So maybe that kind of took away. But overall, like the movie. was really surprised I liked it as much as I did. I would actually go on the record saying... As far as a studio picture that's released as like mm-hmm. action comedy, probably the best of those I've seen in quite some time. Yeah, no, I'll say to, to, to be not a sequel or a franchise or based off of a graphic novel or a comic book or, you know, all these other factors that, that make as a rated R movie uh, violent. I mean, it is pretty violent. And, and I, will, I will say that, yes, this is definitely hard R for, yeah, yeah. you know, so parents don't take your kids. Mm-hmm. Um, I admired how people, this has been talked about before, specifically with like Quentin Tarantino and how he does violence maybe and how it's not like anywhere near Quentin Tarantino. But when the mm-hmm. violence happens, they don't kind of shy away from it. And it's not like you just see people get shot and they fall down like you do see blood. Mm-hmm. There is some gore, but it's not it's not gratuitous. But yet somehow it. It causes you to flinch, and I think that's a good thing. No, yeah, like the violence means something. You see things happen, and it's well, it it means something most of the time. Although, and this is, I think, something I've noticed even with maybe some other Shane Black written films. Uh, If you notice, there were like two or three moments where a gun is fired, and somebody just completely innocent, just happened to be in the wrong place, wrong time, shot and killed over. Yep, and. Those are always a little shocking for me when I see them because I think films try to stay away from that idea a lot of times about, hey, if there's gunfire everywhere, we don't want to show just random somebody who happened to be just running by getting shot and dying. Well, but they did. I mean, there yeah, were for two an, or three For an action movie, usually a lot of times violence and action doesn't have consequences. Exactly. And in this yeah. one, yes, yeah, some random people, and they, they don't just 
you see it and you kind of jars you like, whoa, that's yeah. not cool because that, you know, didn't just miss. No, it mm-hmm. hit somebody mm-hmm. who was innocent. So it, right. So I guess yeah. I, I admired them for doing that. It did seem like maybe sometimes it was played for laughs a little bit, which I didn't care for. Hmm. And I don't know if that's just because maybe we're just a little taken aback when we see it. And it just kind of your gut reaction is to think, oh, wow, that's that's kind of funny. Obviously, it's not funny, but I think that's it was enough jarring. And there were some of those moments. There was one in, scene in particular. Uh, you probably know what I'm talking about close to the end of the film or something happens with one of the primary driving characters and you're just like, Whoa, okay. I did not see that coming. And then they're just gone. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, again, I'm, I, I admire the film for being a little daring in some of those moments. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I'll say I have seen, of course, Iron Man three, who on the planet hasn't, but I saw kiss, kiss, bang, bang. And I liked it. Okay. Right. I think this is definitely a refinement of that idea. Okay. And to me, a much better, more enjoyable, mm. funnier movie. I mean, right. that movie wasn't bad, but this is just, I guess, bigger budget mm-hmm. um, kind of stars that are drawing a lot more attention. Not yeah. that Val Kilmer and Robert Downey at that point weren't. But I don't know. Yeah. Just I think this is a better honed version of that. Yeah, I can see that. So. Yeah. So that's the nice guys. That is uh, out in theaters. Um, don't know how long it'll be there. It's not doing gangbusters out in the movie uh, box office, but uh, hopefully around for a while. And definitely one, if it makes it to online here in the near future and you, you don't have a chance to see otherwise, definitely one to check out uh, when it comes available through those mediums. So let's switch right over to our second review. Again, completely changing gears on us. <laughs> um, I'm not even going to try to stitch together any comparisons between these two films. Let's just jump right into our discussion of uh, a quote, horror film, unquote, The Witch. What went we out into this wilderness to find? Leaving our country, kindred, our father's houses. For what? For the kingdom of God. Let us pray. So, Chris, we, we, you and I, we're going to do a little behind-the-scenes magic of what happens behind the scenes of candle films. Okay, so everybody, <laughs> okay. kind of come behind the curtain for a little bit. Come on back with us. Let me tell you what happens. So, Chris and I happen to work in the same building. So, we see each other you know, uh, on a daily basis. Sure. We As we're prepping for our episodes, we normally will try to check with each other about a week in advance, saying, all right, what are we going to review in, in a week or so? Mm-hmm. Normally, there's a big blockbuster movie or some big movie at the movie theater and yes we know obviously that's the one we're going to go see and then we always try to pick that second film and i've been really crafty for years about (laughs) as long as we've been doing the show just keeping us away from scary movies Ah. because eh, it's not my favorite genre Trying to think of the ones we've discussed it's usually ones that i recommend on my recommendations around halloween i don't know that we've ever picked you go for the holiday season uh, seasonality of it i generally don't recommend we go see a horror film um because i didn't you never saw it follows i have not yet okay um it's not that i'm a scaredy cat you know it's not (laughs) that i just sit here and just tremble and all that it's just I don't get the enjoyment out of horror films that a lot of other people do. Gotcha. That's just fair to say. And, you know, yeah, maybe I'm a little, little, little wuss at heart. Yeah, that's okay. But not any more than the typical person, I guess. So I've been lucky that we've stayed away from horror films for the most part. Sure. However, this film, The Witch, is one that I have read about. I have heard reviews about. And I was honestly intrigued about. Just because it sounded different. 
Okay. You know, it is set in 19, or 1630s New England. A family that obviously had moved over to America and settled here. Um, somehow it's like calls to leave a colony that they were a part of. It's like they had disagreements over yeah, religion or pretty something. Vague, yeah, but pretty vague. They're asked to leave. So you have a father and mother and their four, no, five children. Four at the time, but then five then by they have the time a, they get married. That's right. That's true. When yeah. they actually settle somewhere. Yeah. So they're living out in the woods on their own, kind of making a life for themselves. Five kids. And strange things start to happen. Yep. Where elements that are considered witchcraft, black magic, possibly possession, all these things start to seep into this family or cause a lot of turmoil and anxiety and questioning of one another as family members. And we watch as this all happens in a very isolated part of the woods. So with that, Chris, and this is one that it's going to be hard for us to talk about without a lot of detail spoiling on things. Sure. But what I want to know from you is you, you like me, you generally don't recommend we watch a lot of horror films and you're, you don't seem to be a big horror fan from the years no. we've been doing this show. No. So tell me when people told me that this movie was going to be scary and something that you really need to watch with the lights on after watching it, you know, what, what's your take on this film? Is it, is it, a horror masterpiece or is there more going on to this than it just being a great horror film? I, I think it's, there's definitely more going on to than just it being a horror movie. I probably would not call it a horror movie. Okay. I mean, it's, it's more of just a disturbing movie. Well, you know, the thing is with horror, there's really, I'm learning, I guess over time, there's really two flavors of films that are horror films. You've got the ones that are the jump scares, right. blood and gore, violence, uh, chasing and uh, jumping out of corners and all that. And then you've got what you just described, the more disturbing kind of horror. Mm-hmm. And you're right. This definitely falls into that camp. Well, and something like I'd referenced it, uh, it follows, you know, that's mm-hmm. does have some jump scares, but more, it's more of a cerebral, like just weird, odd, disturbing. Those are the things that, I can get into with a scary movie, something just like a hack slash jump scare, like all the hostile movies and all that kind of stuff. Mm. Yeah. Not, not my game. This one, even I would say the disturbing imagery stuff is kind of few and far between. It's basically more of just tone. It's the the constant state of dread. Dread. Yeah. From the opening, Mm. you just, the colors are very Mm -hmm. washed out. They're very gray and muted. And the music is very oh, monotone and somber so <laughs> and haunting. It is good. Yeah. Um, and so that combined, just the whole movie, you're just like, oh, my gosh. And they don't even have to, like you're saying, they don't even have to have jump scares. It's just like, I just mm. know bad stuff is always happening. Like, even yeah. if I'm not seeing it on screen, I know all around, all off screen, lots of bad things are going on. So I really appreciated the direction, a lot of that, you know, the acting I thought was good. You know, cinematography was was great. I, my regret is that even though I think I would have been too chicken, and now having seen it, I think I would have been fine if I would have gone to see it in a theater. I wish yeah. I could have seen this on the big screen with surround sound. I was too scared, <laughs> probably yeah. to go see it. But having watched it at home, it was still really good. But I, I would have liked to see it on a bigger screen. But. Yeah, I um. Well, let me just tell you something. So um, I have been saving up for a really, really long time uh, and and been in my den without a TV for quite some time now. I've given mine to my kids 
down in the basement. And all. Anyway, what I'm getting to is I finally, after a really, really long time and a lot of savings, a lot of anguish on decision making, got a really, really, really large TV in my den. Oh, and this okay. was the first movie I got to watch oh, wow. on said large TV in my new den. Nice. Uh, with surround sound type of speaker system. And were the lights um, on? Oh, well, yeah, they were on. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't go crazy with this now. Lights were on. Um, okay. So uh, it was one of those things where I did get to see it in a much bigger screen than I think I've seen it in a while, like would have seen normally. Sure. And it did make a difference. This was a this is a good bigger screen experience for sure. Um, I will say I, I agree with you on, on all the points you said. I thought it was beautifully shot. Excellent use of sound, not just the music and just the sparing music it used, but the sound around you. I mean, you were just constantly hearing little things off in the distance. There were some things that were very, very quiet, but still you wanted to hear. I'm thinking of a particular animal's noise that you could hear way off in the background (laughs) during kind of an interesting moment seen inside. And Hmm. it's just constant little reminders that they're very being very intentional with the sound. Um, and I love the fact of how dedicated they were to the time period. Oh, I mean, yeah. it was in so the language. So, yes. Yeah, so I was going to say so much so that I feel like I missed some of what was going on yeah. because they were speaking English, but they were speaking 1630s. English. Oh, they were very dedicated to it. <laughs> and so it was kind of like, to the point at the end of the film. Did you see at the very end, the little like slate they put up? They said that uh, this is after the last scene before the credits roll. It actually said, the dialogue was actually taken from some actual texts and manuscripts right. at the time. I mean, so they were I believe really, it. really, really authentic with I it. I believe it. Um, yeah. Um, you know, what, what struck me too is I remember, I can't remember specifics, but I remember my grandfather telling my mom, and then she then told me some like kind of folk tales about witches mm-hmm, and living in mm-hmm. the woods and nothing very dramatic always happened. It was just like, you'd see a witch and sometimes the witch would transform itself into like a white deer or something Mm -hmm. like little kind of weird things. And that was kind of that. It was that uneasy folk tale kind of folklore. And that's kind of where this movie, it was just, it's like it, it is kind of a folktale, except it it's a really disturbing It's a one. very realistic depiction of a folktale. Right. I mean, I guess is the way you would look at it. Like a folktale come to life and truly happen in a real life situation because everything was very, real in terms of what you're experiencing. Nothing got overly fantastical around you, but yet what it's implying and what it's kind of driving at is very fantastical in your thought process. So it's, I just think it handled it extremely well. I, I really, I will say I really, really, really like this film. Oh, okay. I Good. enjoyed it considerably, <laughs> even for it being a horror film. Um, and so you're again, not mad at me for suggesting. No, actually not at all. <laughs> actually, I'm glad I saw this. Um, and I think the thing that I probably enjoyed the most is that, I mean, you really have no idea where the story is going to go. Well, and I like that. Yeah. I like that you have it because it was dealing with a lot of themes, like themes among family and fears of isolation and starvation. Mm-hmm. And then kind of, you know, obviously talking about religion, which I think is what they got kicked out of the community for because some of their beliefs were different or they... I don't know. Yeah, I really don't know. They really didn't clarify why they were getting kicked out. of. I mean, that happens like the very first scene. scene, It's like they're being in front of a council and being told they're going to leave. So So they were weaving there again. They always like to filmmakers, good filmmakers like to weave lots of things in. And that was being done. And I really appreciated it. I think maybe a little bit of a disappointment I have is that it feels like the last 10 or 15 minutes, it has been a slow dread mm. and a, a build and things are building. Little, things things are going wrong. There are little hints of things. But then the last like 10 or 15 minutes, it's like the gas pedal gets slammed down and they go 
speeding off at 100 miles an hour. And I'm like, whoa. Yeah, and I just, maybe. I felt like in a way I would have, even though I'm not really sure what happened, it was like, in a way, it's a double-edged sword. I felt like they kind of explained everything away. But in doing that, they lost some of the magic and made me kind of confused as how some of the things had happened. They kind of confused me and explained everything to me at mm, the same time mm-hmm. because it just, I don't know, it was too much too fast for me. But I still liked the movie, but I thought they kind of let the cat out of the bag the last 10 minutes or something. Well, the last 10 minutes did have a lot to cover. They did do a lot in that last 10 minutes. I, I, I just personally like the fact that in the first 15 minutes of the film, I would not have predicted this is where it's going to be in the last 10 to 15 minutes of the film. I really did. And I thought that was a credit to the film. There's a way it could have gone, and they were setting up a certain character in the film, I felt like, to play a certain role throughout the whole film. And the fact that that character actually didn't end up playing that role, they kind of went in a different direction by the end of the film, Hmm. I thought was very admirable. And I'm thinking about if this was a more Hollywood-driven movie, the young actress playing uh, one of the daughters... Thomas I think her I think her story path would have been much, much different by the end of the film. Yeah, I think the two acting standouts for me were oh, I know which um, two you're gonna say. Yeah. It's the the daughter, yes. Thomason, who's played Thomason. by Anya Ta- Taylor Joy. Mm-hmm. And then I really, really, really liked the dad, Ralph. Oh, Anderson. okay. I thought you were gonna go a different direction on that. No, no, the dad was good too. I, the dad's voice oh. should be in every horror movie. <laughs> yeah, it was good. Because <laughs> in the opening, you know, they're kind of they're getting kicked out of the village and he's kind of standing there with his family and they're talking to kind of this, the community yeah. or they're not that they're on trial, but they're kind of saying like, Some sort leave. Of counsel. And he's yeah. like, fun. I want to leave. But his voice is just so haunting and yeah. disturbing to me. And like every time he talks, disciplining the family, like coming down on the kids and all, it's just creepy. I was going to, I, I think that's great. And granted all the acting's good in this film. Yeah. I thought, how about black kid, Peter, the goat? Oh, is it black? Uh, Tom is who was it? Black, black Peter uh, or Black Thomas? Well, I think it's Black Thomas. Okay, Black Thomas. Yeah, I don't think it's Black Peter. So, yeah, I don't know. Could be. Black yeah, Th- I think it's Black. Th- it's the name of the goat. Yes, okay. you're right. The, the goat. The goat. <laughs> How the goat do? Say about the goat. So. <laughs> How the goat do? Oh, he he was good. He was he great. Was very good. Obviously, they put out a big casting net for the best <laughs> for the goat black goat they could find, and they found uh, Black Thomas. Goats so. are just creepy anyway. Uh, I thought the actor playing Caleb, who was the young boy that uh, oh. he's kind of the the second oldest in the family. Um, I didn't think much about his, his acting in the first half of the movie, but then he has a scene late in the film. Well, I think it's fair to say really, there's a possession oh my scene gosh, with there, him. It's, it's chilling. And actually, to me, that was probably the scariest moment of the film for me. I think it was more just this fact that he's a young boy and just him putting his own body and, and voice and everything through this turmoil in this sure. scene was pretty terrifying, I thought. so, you know, And I thought he played it. Man, it was good. So he really got some points with me in that last scene he was in. So I, that possession scene was is kind of a key moment of the film. You know, mm. is he possessed? Is he not possessed? What's kind of going on there? And yeah, pretty pretty interesting. Yeah, I will say one thing: this film has that um, I can honestly say is the most terrifying rabbits mm. since Monty Python and the Holy Grail. <laughs> so Agreed. I mean. The, for a rabbit, rabbits to not do anything except just, just stare at you yep. 
it was scary. <laughs> so I will say there are at least two very, very, very frightening rabbits just watching you in this film. So um, if this description of what we've been describing and the kind of the imagery is sounding like your cup of tea, I think you'll really, really appreciate The Witch quite a bit. Yeah. I really liked it. Um, it's one of the better films I've seen in quite a while. Yeah, if you're not a fan of scary movies, but this sounds interesting and you don't mind a little bit of like creepy stuff, then probably seek it out. You'll enjoy it. Yeah. Um, if you conversely, if you're a fan of like jump scare hack slash movies and you're going into this thinking it's a horror movie, probably going to be disappointed. You're probably disappointed. It's a slow, slow yeah. burn of a movie. Slow burn. That first hour is really slow mm-hmm. and not a lot happens. When it does happen, it's kind of momentous events, but it's just there's a lot of time in between each one. Um, I think it's worth seeing just for the cinematography, the acting, the music. Um, it all just worked. It all worked really, really well. Interesting note. See mm-hmm. your take on it. They have chosen the director of the film, which is uh, Robert Eggers, and mm-hmm. he also wrote he wrote it as well as directed it. Um, they have chosen him to do a remake of the old film, I can't remember, the 1921 or whatever, Nosferatu. Really? How do you feel about that? <laughs> Not jumping out a little bit to news, but this is just, you know, um, quick You know take. what? I'm what actually okay that? with that. Okay. Um, because I, don't think be, I don't think it'll be silent, but it's just kind of recreation right. of that whole Nosferatu. Well, because the whole Nosferatu story... The original story is not one that a whole lot of people in today's society know. Gotcha. A lot of them have not seen the old silent 1920s movie. So it's not like he's remaking something that's just a horror staple that everybody knows. Right. If he can instill the same mood and style and pacing to the film, then absolutely I'm on board. Okay. Um, looking at his credits, it seems like his credits are a lot more in production design than they have been in writing or directing. Right. He's actually been the production designer on like 15 different films. Yeah. So it's pretty obvious to me because this film really worked from a look and feel standpoint. So uh, anyway, yeah, Robert Eggers, I'm definitely on board with what he does next. So that sounds intriguing. I think from what I had read that he was, as a child, was always interested in like, you know, witch tales and like Salem witch trials and all that kind of stuff. And so he'd always wanted to make a film and so finally he was able to push it through and got funding and made it so thank That's goodness because awesome. no, it was great. interesting it's a very very good film so I, I really did enjoy it quite a bit so that's The Witch. It is already online. You can watch it through Amazon Video, iTunes, other sources. It's available out there. So we definitely do recommend, uh, uh, if you don't mind being a little creeped out in a few moments, uh, it's a really good film to watch. So, all right. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to do uh, talk about some movie news. We'll handle our movie recommendations of the episode. Uh, all that is coming up in just a moment. So stay tuned. You're listening to Foot Candle Films. I'm with the band on the Mesh.TV, features regional music acts discussing their craft and live performances. Subscribe to I'm with the band on the Mesh.TV and swim around in the heads of your favorite regional musicians. Welcome back to Foot Candle Films here on the Mesh.TV. My name is Alan, and this is Chris along my side here. And we'll get back right back into our show in a moment, but first I just want to remind you you're listening to uh, Foot Candle Films here on TheMesh.TV. So imagine The Mesh is a network, kind of like your ABC, your NBC, your CBS. The difference is all of our shows are on the internet. They're all available on demand at any time. And uh, they're all free. 
which yes. is also nice too. So you don't have to pay for a cable box or anything like that. As long as you've got the internet, you're good to go. So The Mesh is a series of shows. We call them podcasts, but really what podcasts are are just uh, programs you can subscribe to. You subscribe to them, and they come delivered to your listener or uh, audio program of choice whenever we put out a new episode. So obviously we would love for you to subscribe to Candle Films if you're not already a subscriber. If this is your first time listening or you're just listening on one of the players on our website, We do encourage you to either go to iTunes or you can go to Stitcher Radio and subscribe to our shows. You'll always get the new episodes waiting for you. We also encourage you to give us some feedback. We'll tell you how at the end of the show to do that. There are a lot of other shows on the Mesh Network, all different topics. Uh, We're the only film review show, but you got a lot of other complimentary topics. you got music, you've got business, you've got some education, you got some sports. A lot of great information out there on TheMesh.TV. So please check it out, TheMesh.TV. That's T-H-E-M-E-S-H.TV. And uh, you also have a chance to go and listen to all of our old episodes because, uh, I don't know, I mean, somebody could go all the way back to episode number one if they really want to hear really vintage, determined. Yes. vintage Alan and Chris. And we were just young newbies, yes, fresh on life at that point. I believe that was win-win was the first one. It was the first one. Win-win was the first review. Uh, So going back and see if we've sounded any more mature or more polished or professional by this time. I'd be (laughs) curious. Actually, I I think that's something I'm going to do this weekend. I want to go back and hear what we sounded like. Fresh-faced podcasters back in the early days. All right, so Chris, we, we like to hit a little bit of movie news while we have a few moments here before we go on to our recommendations of the episode. Just some things we find interesting and we do a little back and forth seesaw with this. I've got a couple of news items, so it's okay if, if sure. I go first here. Kick it off. So talking about, and there actually is a little bit of a connection here. Um, I believe, I believe, was it Tony Scott who directed The Last Boy Scout? And hold on just a second as I find wow. out on IMDb. See, I'm always more of a, I guess most people are more of a Ridley Scott person than a Tony Scott person. But I am, you know, I can't remember if he did that one or not. I think he did. Um and there's a reason I'm getting to this. Hold on. Yes, okay. he did do The Last Boy Scout. The Last Boy okay. Scout was one that I referred to that I think I'm doing a little Kevin Bacon Shame, six degrees of Shane separation Black. here. Shane Black was the writer of okay. The Last Boy Scout. So a little connection to our show. Got you. So Tony Scott, unfortunately, sadly passed away uh, several years ago. But he was the one who had directed Top Gun, Man on Fire, Unstoppable. Um, I think he did Real, uh, Real, The True Romance, one of my favorite movies. Okay. A lot of movies. A lot of movies he did. Uh, he is part of the Scott family. Ridley Scott being right. his brother? Yeah, I think so. Sure. Older brother. Now, Ridley's been the one that's gotten more critical acclaim with all of his work. Right. He's done more masterpieces. You know, Such with, as Prometheus. <laughs> right. Right. Oh, yeah. He did do Prometheus, too. Uh, I, was, <laughs> I was thinking more Blade Runner, Alien, you know, a couple others. Gladiator even won Best Picture Oscar nomination, Oscar Award. Right. So... Um, I thought it was really interesting when I heard that Ridley Scott's producing a new thriller. Producing, not directing. Okay. Called Morgan. But the interesting thing is, is that it's actually another Scott member of the family. Hmm. It is, I believe, it may be his son. Really? Who is now directing a movie called Morgan. And again, uh, excuse me, a, I like a, type away. It's a thriller. It is a thriller. I will tell you the concept of the film in just a second, but I want to verify if in fact... He son. is his son. I guess it could his be. His name is I guess it could Luke be. Scott. Okay. Um, hmm. 
And he is, oh, this is, yes, he is son of Ridley Scott. There we I go. apologize. I know that was thrilling podcast <laughs> audio to hear me search IMDb for a piece of information. But yes, Luke Scott is the son of Ridley Scott. Interesting. And he has directed a film called Morgan. Okay. Morgan is about a corporate risk management consultant who has to decide and determine whether or not to terminate an artificial being's life that was made in a laboratory environment. Hmm. The film stars uh, uh, Kate Mara, who is our Rooney Mara's sister. Got and she has been in, I know she was in House of Cards, the TV show, the first season. Right. I think she was in that Fantastic Four film that you oh, actually ended dear. up watching, yeah. which is on HBO, by the way, and it's on mm. my watch list. So I will be watching it wow. sometime soon to trade notes. Okay. But it stars Rooney, uh, uh, Kate Mara. And uh, if you watch the trailer, it does have a little bit of a... They've created an artificial being, and that artificial being may be having some problems and maybe causing some havoc. So it's and like trying a to decide whether, type thing? A little bit of that, okay. where they're trying to decide whether or not to have to terminate the life of this artificial being based on its actions. Hmm. has a little bit of a young girl artificial being feel to it, like the girl's, I think, younger. Okay. That you don't ever really see her in the trailer hmm. very clearly. The trailer looks really good, and okay. I'm actually intrigued because it is Luke Scott being. Who were the? Who were the? Are there big stars attached to it, or nobody else really? Okay. Oh, Anna Taylor Joy hmm. is in it. I bet you she's playing Morgan. <laughs> I just see her name, Anna <laughs> Taylor that, Joy, that was Thomason. the one from The Witch, Tomlinson from The Witch. Okay. So another connection I just made. Wow. I did not have that one planned. That was completely coincidental. <laughs> but that's it. No other big stars. It looks to be kind of a small budget sci-fi okay. thriller. But that sounds kind of like right up your alley. So, yeah, um, yeah. Anyway, so it'll be interesting for you to know Luke Scott is following in the, the father's footsteps. Is there and, a release uh, date associated with it? Or uh, September. Oh. Yeah, it's coming out. The trailer just came out this week. Okay. So I saw the trailer. The film's coming out in September, so you don't have to wait too long for it. Interesting. Yeah, yeah that sounds so Check that out. Good. Morgan. M-O-R-G-A-N. Cool. Uh, so what have you got for us? Okay, so I heard... I'm a huge, as I've talked about before on the fan on the show, I'm a huge fan of Stanley Kubrick. Yes. And one of the films, I think the film that he was in the process, spent years and years doing research, traveling all over Europe, writing and rewriting screenplays, but he never got to finish, never got to do, was Napoleon. And it was going to be this huge, sprawling epic. He did Barry Lyndon, and I think maybe that's part of the reason why he didn't end up doing Napoleon, because Barry Lyndon was this kind of big, sprawling, mm -hmm. really long movie. Critically, people liked it, but then box office-wise and everything, it got panned. People didn't like it. So Steven Spielberg, in conjunction with Cary Fukunaga, who did Beasts of No Nation, oh, and yeah. he did mm -hmm. uh, Jane Eyre with Fassbender and Wasikowska, this is going to be his next project. And I don't, I'm not sure if it's like a co-directing thing or Spielberg's mm. producing and okay. Fukunaga's directing, but they have decided to take on Stanley Kubrick's Napoleon for HBO. And instead of trying to make it a movie, they're going to make it a miniseries. Wow. Which the shame of it will be, I don't have HBO, so I'm not going to get to see it until it eventually comes out on like disc or mm -hmm. Netflix or something. But it's going to um, be like a, a series or a mini series. It's going to be a mini series. And the okay. the thing with Napoleon is people always talked about the greatest movie never made. That's kind of what people wow. would associate with Napoleon Kubrick. Stanley Kubrick's Napoleon is that it was going to be so this it's kind sprawling of based epic. on his research and development work and all that. Yeah, he did Stan every Steven Spielberg's producing. Right. And uh, Fukunaga, Fukunaga I think is directing. directing. Okay. I think that's how it's laid out. Hmm. What's interesting is you may recall 
in the past, Steven Spielberg, similar situation, took over AI from Stanley Kubrick. Yes. Stanley, Stanley Kubrick had like done a lot of pre-production work, had done a lot of script work, and basically knew that he he was sick, he wasn't gonna he was dying basically, and he kind of passed it off to Steven Spielberg and said, "Hey, have at have it." At it. And Steven Spielberg made that. Yeah. So this is kind of a similar situation. The estate of Stanley Kubrick has given the blessing to Steven Spielberg mm. to make this happen. So I'll be interested to see well, what he does with it. I'll tell you what. I'm actually probably more excited about this, even though I'm happy Spielberg is producing it, because it probably wouldn't be getting made otherwise. Probably not. But the fact that AI was AI was an interesting movie. I have very conflicted feelings about it. I do, too. Um, there I are moments to of the it. film I love, and there are moments I hate of the sure. film. And I'm not even talking about the ending. I actually don't have a problem with the ending. I thought there were just other choices in the film that were just really bizarre. Um, so I'm actually happy if somebody that's maybe a uh, beast of no nation I have not seen, but I've seen enough of it to know the style of the film. Sure. If somebody could really apply a little bit, a little bit more of a harsher lens to a film than Spielberg probably would, I think is a good move. And I think we could probably see something a little more interesting, a little bit more what Kubrick might've anticipated, uh, doing than what Spielberg would have, would have been directing. That's kind of how I feel right now. I love Spielberg, but I feel like he's. He's got a certain style of movie he's kind of honed into right now, and I don't know if um, Kubrick's Napoleon would be the right fit for him anyway. That's what's so interesting to me about a- the AI collaboration. Stanley Kubrick is you know, kind of austere and has a certain very dry sense of humor, also tends to be kind of a depressing filmmaker and not commercial. Steven Spielberg, on the other hand, tends to be more of the uplifting box office friendly you know both are very talented filmmakers yes so to put those two together is just odd and that's why i think ai was an odd Odd movie movie. there was like i said you know i don't want to get off too much of a tangent here but i thought going back to ai you know all the scenes with the little boy and i don't recall his name it's been a while but yeah it's been so long uh him interacting with his family and just kind of him being an artificial being adapting this family, I thought were really good. And I was really loving the movie in the first 30, 40 minutes. Then it took a detour, kind of went on a road trip and then you, law. and then you get into this city and there's, yeah. oh, there's a whole 10 minute scene with Robin Williams animated character. That's just grating to watch. Actually yes. it's just infuriating and other moments that just kind of just went all over the place. And uh, even the ending was kind of all over the place. It had like, two or three ending points and I like some and I didn't like others. And it just, <laughs> it was an odd blend of a movie. So sure. I, I, that's why I'm glad to hear that Spielberg's helping get it produced, but let's let somebody else take the reins on directing it. It's fine by me. Gotcha. Yeah. Awesome. That's interesting. I did not know that at all. Yeah. Normally you can't stump me with these movie news, but that one you did get me. <laughs> I didn't know that. All right. So this other one's not really a movie news item, Chris. It's just something I'm just curious about your thoughts on. I, 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 I've got to tell you, I've always had a little bit of a love hate relationship with the internet when it comes to reviewing movies, hmm. because with the internet, anybody gets to be a movie critic. Anybody can throw a comment on a message board, talk about how they liked or didn't like a movie. Sure. I'm okay with that. I like the democratization of it. There are some people and you and I, and you and I worked podcast, really hard for our critics license. We did. I mean, we studied for years. <laughs> I remember all the cram sessions, you know, on weekends, right. uh, we those, finally exam, got those that, exams were tough. We finally got that, that little diploma saying we're an official film critic and we can do a podcast now. Right. 
and I don't even mind people on message boards talking about movies they've seen and their thoughts and if they liked it or didn't like it. And you can get into some discussions and back and forth and all that. What I hate, though, is people who start prejudging a movie hmm. before they've even seen it. You and I are a little guilty of that. I mean, I talked about how nice guys. I was like, eh, I don't really... Well, I wasn't really interested in seeing the movie, but I don't slam the movie per se. I just say I have no interest. See, in there's a difference. You can not have an interest in seeing a film because of what you've heard or read or seen about it. But to go, if you, you and I had done a podcast episode where all we did for 15 minutes was talk about how we're not going to see the nice guys because <laughs> it looks horrible and they it's make just this 70s kitsch and, just, oh, oh, and we're well, not going to watch it. You shouldn't go watch it either. Right. That would be wrong. Okay. So. They're making a remake of Ghostbusters. I've heard about this. Yeah. I think we've had a news item before. We have. It. I've talked about it before. You've talked about it. I mean, you know, because we're, we both like Ghostbusters. I've, so I've, to, I've, it was one of my recommendations a long time oh, yeah. ago. And it's to read great, Ghostbusters. It's one of my top 20 favorite films. Sure. So, you know, the idea of remaking it, eh, I'm not excited about it. I could care less if they remade the movie or not. I would have rather them gone in all different direction and try to do something different instead of, it sounds like kind of restarting the whole thing again. I have no problem with it being all females at all. Nope. I think Kristen Wiig is very funny. I think uh, the other characters they've gotten involved, the other actresses, very, very good actresses. Um, I think um, Kate McKinnon, who I've said before, is on Saturday Night Live. Right. I think she's hilarious. I think she's actually one of the funniest females on TV or movies or anything else right now. So I'm on board. But the hate that this film has been generating <laughs> online... Before anybody has seen more than a two and a half the, minute trailer, because the movie insane. hasn't even been previewed oh, anywhere. No, no. Okay. nobody's seen just it. trailers. I've seen the. I think I've seen the. They've first had two trailer. trailers. Okay, so you've had a total of maybe four minutes of footage. Okay, in scenes from a at least ninety minute film. Gotcha. And everybody, it's amazing. I've never seen quite the online hate for a film. Hmm. The trailer, like on YouTube, you can do the thumbs up, thumbs down, or whatever. It's like. I think it holds the records for the most thumbed down negative view trailer uh, they've, they've ever had on there. Wow. Um, even to the point where Paul Feig, the director has had to come out and actually make kind of rants online about how mad he is about the online community hmm. and how childish everybody's being judging a film that they haven't even seen yet. This is the guy who did bridesmaids. He did bridesmaids and, and, and spy and okay. um, something else. That Two he, movies, which I liked. Yeah, they were. I mean, I like Bridesmaids. I thought yeah. Spy was okay. Um, <laughs> so anyway, just do you do you visit message boards online from movie sites? Do you read other people's comments? Are you at all I, I into in that general, culture? I in general don't. Um, you know, the I mentioned kind of where I get kind of a newsletter from that Paste magazine, and I right. never go to the site, but I will see some of their news items, and then I may go to the site. But in general, I'm not a big comments section reader. I guess. I want somebody to fill out their opinion more. If they write an article, I'll listen. Even if they're like you want some more like well thought out, crafted discussion right. on it, not just somebody putting up it sucks. You right. Know, right. Okay. <laughs> right, because you know that's not worth much to me. Yeah. So yeah, I, I feel like if anything, it makes me want to go out and see the Ghostbusters movie just to. I don't know. Hopefully, hopefully it's good. Hopefully it'll be really awesome and prove like lots of people wrong that have just been prejudging it without a reason to, to get all upset. I mean, I'll admit there again, like, you know, I was kind of saying the first trailer, I was like, eh, 
it eh, doesn't really mm-hmm. pique my interest. It was it doesn't seem to be radically different, which like you, I was kind of hoping for. Yeah. But oh well, I just won't go see it. See, I'm not going to just come down and like rant incessantly about it. Uh, but I, I did see, even though I didn't read what they were talking about, but I had heard some rumblings. I am on Twitter. And I had seen people kind of commenting like, never before have I seen this kind of hatred out of nowhere for something. People feel justified that they can show their opinion, even if they haven't seen something. They just want to be mad about something. Yeah. So it's kind of weird. It is. And I'll tell you, just to cap it off, the thing I thought was uh, – Really interesting. So uh, Tom Rothman, who is the head of Sony Pictures. Okay, oh, okay. This is like the big guy on Sony Pictures that is producing the Ghostbusters film. Hmm. Uh, he actually put out a uh, quote, which I think is hilarious. Here's a quote. Now we'll have to blank out one part of it. <laughs> Everybody says I'm making the female Ghostbusters. But I say, no, we're making the funny Ghostbusters. Yes, it happens to be four women. It's original. You get pissing and moaning on the internet, sexist comment, but you know what? F them. Wow. <laughs> this is the head of Sony Pictures going online, oh, quoting this in an article. So basically, they're all taking, and I think Paul Feig has kind of come out basically saying the same thing. You're taking the approach of, you know what? We're sick and tired of it. Don't start bad-mouthing our movie and making sexist comments about it before you actually see it. Right. You know? And that's always been my thing. I know that sometimes when I see a trailer is coming out for a new Andy, um, uh, uh, what's the Sam, uh, not Andy Samberg? He's funny. Who's Adam the other one? Sandler? Adam Sandler. <laughs> I know sometimes when I see the latest Ad, uh, Adam Sandler movie trailer, I roll my eyes and I groan. But what I don't do is I don't go online or go tell everybody in the, my friend circle, "Don't go see this movie. It's going to suck." I kind of keep that my, to myself, or maybe I'll say it to you in the passing in the hallway. But right, you know, I think that's kind of our role in society is you know, keep our mouth shut until we have something to base an opinion on. Yeah, I I agree. Speaking of Adam Sandler, I haven't seen Ridiculous Six, but mm-hmm. last night I did see a preview on TV for his next movie that is coming to Netflix, yeah. which they were advertising on TV, and they'll be like on Netflix soon or coming to Netflix, which I thought was kind of interesting. This whole online movies being released that way. It's Adam Sandler and David Spade, but I have to say, I'm kind of interested. Yeah, I mean, he's got a multi-picture deal with Netflix. Right. So his next several movies are all going to go to Netflix directly. Um, I've actually heard some people say that this film looks like it could be could decent. be somewhat decent. I really liked the old David Spade, who was kind of snarky yeah. <laughs> you know, back on Saturday Night Live when he would do the Before Hollywood he did Minute the, or whatever. Uh, what's the redneck guy? The uh, oh, the Joe Dirt stuff. Joe Dirt. <laughs> yeah, not a big fan of that. Yeah. Um, but I don't. I don't know. Something makes me think that maybe. Maybe this will this will work. This well, could be a redemption thing for both Sandler and well. What Spade. I just want to cap it off with before we go to our recommendations, I just want to remind everybody: we have an obligation as society. <laughs> we should not prejudge something. We should not go online and trash something before we've had a chance to see it. Now, once you see the movie, if it sucks, feel free to go online and say it sucks. And I've, but tell us why it sucks. Just, Don't just tell say us why. it sucks. And tell I feel like why. you know, for instance, Fantastic Four. Mm-hmm. Um, we talked about it on the show about kind of what went wrong with Josh Trank and all the rumors surrounding it. And it was genuinely bad, but I still went and saw it because I was interested and fascinated mm-hmm. in it. But now having seen it, I can say that, yes, it is bad. Okay. <laughs> but you've seen it yes. and you have reasons that you can articulate for why you did not like it. Right. It's just a so, mess. Stuff had to be reshot. It's the thing, you know, I keep telling my boys that, you know, they're growing up on the YouTube generation and they know all the famous YouTubers and they see all the comments that are being made. And I just remind them like, guys, this is a time that, 
this is a time in our society where everybody can have a voice, and that's great. <laughs> but unfortunately, Except it also means <laughs> that everybody can have a voice, right. and you got to listen to everybody's voices, not just the intelligent, good people. you got to listen to the idiots also. Sure. So don't be an idiot. That's all I'm saying when it comes to the movie <laughs> reviews. Yeah, just don't be an idiot. Fair enough. I appreciate it. Thanks. That's our little, the more you know, That's right. uh, one to grow on, whatever message <laughs> from for Candle Films. All right, so Chris, to wrap up our show, we always kind of close with a recommendation of a film that we've either caught up with recently or we thought, you know, maybe it was a nice surprise or something we think we ought to go back and revisit. Chris, what have you got on your recommendation for us today? I stumbled across this film by chance. Um, somebody was talking to me about it and they said, yeah, I think it's on Netflix. I know it's on iTunes. And, you know, I was like, okay, you know, it sounds interesting. But to tell you, it's a documentary about a marathon and you'll say, oh, well, I don't, I'm not into running. That doesn't really sound that interesting. Mm-hmm. Who cares? Well, here's the thing. <laughs> it's called the mere title of the documentary. Probably pique your interest. It's called the Barkley Marathons, the race that eats its young. Hmm. That's, that's wow. That's the name of the, I'm, the documentary. I'm fascinated already. Okay, nobody eats little children in this movie. But what that's referring to is this race has been around for 25 years in Tennessee, and during that time, only 10 people have actually managed to finish the Barkley Marathon. Now, each year, only 40 people are allowed to run the race. 40 people. Only 40 people are allowed to run the race. Hmm. And like, for example, in 2015, no one finished. Wow. This race is done in a park in Tennessee. It is 20 miles and it's five laps of 20 miles each. So at the end of this, you've done at least 100 miles. Hmm. And each time the lap, each course you take, it changes. So you run a lap, then you have to run. When you start running the second lap, the course changes. It is what people term as like an ultra marathon. It is insane. Wow. (laughs) That these people like, and basically it involves a lot of times one person was able to like the way they were able to finish is they never slept. And basically they didn't sleep for like four days straight and they just kept running. It is, it is the ultra endurance marathon. People kind of start to lose their mind a little bit and have trouble walking. Like it is weird. And basically it was started by this guy who was inspired, (laughs) believe it or not, it was based on a historic prison escape that took place in Tennessee. It was the person, James Earl Ray, who assassinated Martin Luther King. Right. Sure. He spent, um, something like he only got eight miles away from the actual prison when he escaped, but it took him like something like two or three days. And this guy who was a marathon runner who started the race said, Hey, and you know, three days or whatever, I could get farther than eight miles. <laughs> I could probably get a hundred miles. Mm-hmm. So he developed this race and it's, it is insane. It um, has been automatically added to my Netflix. <laughs> yeah. I mean, no, it sounds fascinating. So it's called the Barkley marathons, the race that eats its young. Um, lots of interesting people behind making the race and then some interesting people that run it and run it no matter what. Um, and the fact that it's only 40 people get to run the race and like it's even secret how you actually even apply to enter the race. 
Like it's kind of unknown. There's no website. There's websites about the race, but nothing that tells you how you can enter this race. Wow. And it's been, and that is so awesome. Now it's gotten to the point where people from around other countries, England, other countries have come over to run this race. Amazing. Yet nobody really knows how you enter to run this race. Wow. So it's just, I love it. No, that's awesome. I'm so excited now. <laughs> so yeah. I don't be surprised if I actually watch it tonight. So okay. I'm, I'm very eager now, <laughs> man. Compared to yours, mine's just mine's no good, but I'm gonna do it anyway. All right, I'm um, here. It's not a movie I love, but I just I had it was it was a nice little decent surprise to be a little better than I expect it to be. Okay, uh, and I just found out there is a connection between this and the news that we just covered. Hmm. So um, I like Kevin Costner. Gotcha. Not afraid to admit it. I think the guy back in the '80s and early '90s was really good. Okay. I think I've even said this before. I was a huge fan of Dances with Wolves. Saw the film probably four times in the movie theater. Wow. Um, I still, it holds up pretty good for me now. I like Kevin Costner. I'm waiting for him to have the movie that I really like him in. He needs to have a, a great moment to come back in a really you good film. You know what film. he needs to do? Mm. He needs to be, he needs to be in a Quentin Tarantino movie or yeah. a Wes Anderson movie. <laughs> I don't know that Wes Anderson it's a very different odd. It's a very different style, but something about like getting him out of his norm where it's not like a sports movie or something and having him having a decent. The movie I'm going to talk about is Kevin Costner in a sports movie. Ah, (laughs) Fair enough. Well, Um, he's made a lot of sports movies that people really like. This one's a little different. It's called Draft Day. Okay. And uh, it's directed by Ivan Reitman. So there's my connection to Ghostbusters. Yeah. Ivan Reitman. Ivan Reitman, who. Let's be honest. Last 20 years, he ain't really done much. Okay. Just, but he gave us Jason, right? Oh, he gave us Jason, right? So he did <laughs> do, produce something, right. but, uh, but on his own, sure. not really. I couldn't really tell you any really good movie he's done in the last 20 years. Right. I mean, once he got past Ghostbusters and some of the ones in the eighties, I think he kind of just petered off from there. Right. But anyway, draft day is a, is a simple little film that I think is interesting because it is all taking place on Draft day. This is the NFL draft. Okay. Kevin Costner plays a uh, a real person, the general manager of the Cleveland Browns. Oh. And every year, you know, the, the NFL goes through a draft where they're drafting college players and they're making trades and all that. Sure. And people who follow the NFL, follow professional football, I'm sure draft day is an exciting day. People like me who watch football, professional football, sure. eh, just whenever the Panthers are doing pretty good or making a good run. Uh, watching draft day is not exciting to me. No, not exciting to me. Fantasy football to me is like what is kind of falls into the whole draft. Like that whole mess. Like I just figure it's like Dungeons and Dragons well, of football. It doesn't make any I sense. I get why people love it. I really do. I'm not <laughs> faulting at all. It's just, if sure. you're really into the stuff, just like we're in the kind of movies sure. and I analyze box office returns, same idea. This is just into the sport deeper than I care to go myself. Got you. But I will say this movie was interesting because it basically all takes place in a day. Oh. It is draft day. It is leading up to the draft. It's a very time sensitive so movie. So it starts at the draft and okay. Yeah. So basically you're following this general manager as he's having the opportunity to make a really dramatic change in his pick strategy that could really change the whole shape of the team. But he's gotten so much pushback from the owner and his, some of his colleagues. And hmm. he's also dealing with a, a relationship at the same time with a girl that works in his office. And it's just, it's not a excellent movie. Okay. There's a lot of things that could have been done a lot better. Uh, Kevin Costner, eh, he kind of is sleepwalking through the role. He's playing a typical Kevin Costner sports guy. Gotcha. It's like we just woke up the guy who played in Bull Durham 15 years, <laughs> 20 years later, and just asked him to be in this movie real quick. Fair enough. 
but it was enjoyable. It was fun. It actually made draft day really exciting and kind of like a little tension built into it. Um, And it takes a little bit of a quick kind of a turn at one point where you think the movie's going to be kind of done. It's going to be a simple movie. And then he decides to go in a different direction, try something else. And it kind of extends the the, the plot a little bit longer. Hmm. It had some funny moments. It was good. I just like, I like any movie that puts an interesting take on something that we as a society either take for granted or don't think much about, or don't think that there can be much drama in and actually adding a lot of drama to it. Sure. So watching this and, it was a, it was a fun watch, and okay. um, so I will say draft day. I think if you like Kevin Costner sports movies, yes, this is a good. This one. is for you. If you like sports movies in general, I think this is a pretty good one. If you just like good movies, eh, I mean, there's enough here to watch to keep you entertained for an hour and a half. So okay, that's draft day uh, with Kevin Costner by directed by Ivan Reitman. Okay, fair enough. So with that, that will wrap up our show today. So again, our reviews of the Nice Guys and the Witch. Both getting our recommendations. It sounds like The Witch is probably getting a higher recommendation than The Nice Guys, but they're both good high recommendations. Yeah. Um, I think we both were just really impressed with The Witch, probably more than we expected to be. Yeah. And The Nice Guys, good, solid action comedy movie with enough interesting going on to make it worth checking out for sure. We had some movie news. We did our recommendations. I did Draft Day. You did Barkley the, the Barkley Marathons. Yes. Uh, which... Yeah, I'm totally watching this weekend, <laughs> for sure. So that is it for our episode. Chris, if somebody had some thoughts, questions, feedback for us, uh, how do you recommend they what, – what steps should they take as soon as they turn off this podcast? Well, you can always just rant endlessly in the comment section, which we would prefer yeah, – Tell us why we suck and don't tell us why. <laughs> That's right. No, we prefer to have more of a dialogue, meaning if you would email us at info at TV, tell us what you like, tell us what you didn't like, what you agree or disagree with our reviews. We would love that. That would be fabulous. You can also give us feedback on through something like iTunes where you can leave star reviews for our show and also give comments about the show that way. You can do that as well. Alan and I are also both on Letterboxd where we try to do reviews of movies and keep a diary of what we're doing. So those are other ways you can keep up with us. All right. Well, yeah, we do encourage you to please, please do those things because we'd love to hear from you. We want to keep the shows interactive. We try to, you know, every once in a while people send us movie news items and we talk about them here on the show. So we like to, we like to kind of feedback and, and make sure we're, we're talking about things that people have some interest in out there as well. So with that, we're going to go ahead and wrap up our show. We do encourage you to check us out online, go back and listen to old episodes, and check out other shows on the Mesh Network when you have a moment. And otherwise, we will be back for our next episode very, very soon. Can I throw in one quick plug for our film festival coming up in September oh, we have a 23rd? Film coming we up. do. Coming I completely up. forgot about that. Coming it's up. It's not like we've talked about this on no, a no, daily never. basis for weeks. Uh, September 23rd <laughs> through the 25th uh, here in Hickory, North Carolina, we'll be holding the second annual Foot Candle Film Festival. reason why I'm mentioning it, other than just to hype it in general, is to say the deadline for submissions is coming up. It's June 13th, I believe, either June 11th. Don't have my notes right in front of me. Anyways, point being, time is running out. We've got a lot of really good submissions. It's going to shape up to be a great festival again this year. If you got a film you want to submit, do it. Footcandlefilmfestival.com is where you can submit it. And uh, so are we still planning on Saturday having the Kevin Costner Sports Movie Marathon? Is that the plan for the festival? Awesome. (laughs) That will be good. There's a good four or five of them. We could probably squeeze in on that day. Now, the film festival is going to be great. We're excited. We've got some great submissions in, but if you're hearing this and it's uh, like mid-June, you need to quickly go over our site because we'll be shutting that down pretty soon uh, to uh, get some films to us. And then 
tickets will be going on sale, what, late July or early August, right. in that timetable. We'll definitely let everybody know when tickets to the general public are available online uh, to buy for the festival. So we'll hope to see you in Hickory this coming September. All right. Well, with that, we're going to wrap it up. Thanks, everybody, for listening. See you in the ticket line. Special thanks to Carpal Taller for the show theme music. For more about Carpal Taller, visit www.carpaltaller.com. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.